Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki. I am here with John Mitchell this week. Luckily, he has survived the hurricane that swept through the Gulf Coast, and he is somewhat back up to speed. Uh, Obviously, a long road ahead, it seems, for full recovery down there. But, John, it's great to see you again. I'm so glad you're here with us. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back in some kind of normal routine again. Yeah, as normal as it has been this year, for sure. Well, I I have to ask you quick. I know things sprung on you guys quickly down there. And uh, can you just give us a feel for what you were going through and what you're still coping with before we actually get into football? Because this feels so much bigger than football right now. Yeah, it was... um it was pretty wild. I'm not, you know, originally from the Gulf Coast, so it was my first hurricane experience. You know, I'd always heard people talking about it, but there wasn't a sense that it was going to be that, you know, the Hurricane Sally was really going to do a lot of damage. It was kind of really considered more of a tropical storm and maybe a Category 1 hurricane. Um, it really wasn't projected to hit right on top of where I am here in Foley, Alabama, And, you know, things turned really, really quickly. Uh, People didn't really have a lot of time to do much. They started evacuating some people who were closer to the beach, but there was never an evacuation for those of us further inland. And it it hit pretty hard early Tuesday morning of this past week, and it was pretty devastating. Like, it was, you know, I was in my apartment and could, I was hearing lots of loud crashes, uh, and I wasn't sure if that was, you know, my apartment sections of my apartment building that were going down or, or what it ended up being. But, you know, I think the eye of the storm hit about 4 a.m., 4, 4, 15 a.m., something like that. And I was able to step out onto my balcony and could kind of see some of the damage. And then the next morning, it was just surreal. You know, a lot of siding ripped off. The, the playground they had for kids over here was completely blown away. Uh, roofs were missing. And, I mean, the further you went... Uh, toward the coast too, more towards the beach area and stuff. The devastation was just um, really shocking and 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 sad to see. A lot of people lost homes. Uh, people around here were without power. Some people are still without power as of Monday evening. So I mean, we were without power at my place for about ninety plus hours. So you know, we were. I was fortunate though that you know my my particular uh, apartment unit was mostly okay. I uh, had some minor damage, but I didn't get a lot of flooding that a lot of people got, and I've not been displaced or anything. So being without power was obviously an inconvenience, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And, you know, my mind's always just on all the people who have dealt with a lot more than I've had to go through with this. But, yeah, that was my first hurricane experience. It, it was not a lot of fun. I don't recommend it for anybody else. Yeah, I'm going to say as somebody from out west originally and who's only just on in Pennsylvania, you know, I just passed the one-year anniversary of moving out here. I've never dealt with anything like that. Earthquakes, yes, uh, both in Wyoming and in California when I lived there. I've dealt with long power outages, but that was always because of, you know, freak blizzards that would happen and they couldn't get to the 
you know, the site of the outage. But yeah, it just sounds like you add all of those things together all at once. And I, I'm so glad you're here with us. And obviously, everybody, this is why we didn't have a podcast last week. So I, I hope you can, you know, uh, see the context a little more completely now. But yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I feel for people that are having to deal with the recovery of it all and, you know, the damages to, you know, homes that they've had, uh, the fact that they're having to, you know, you're all having to pick up life and, and in a year where life has already felt like it needed to be picked up and, and you know, over and over again, it's just one more rough patch and hopefully you know everybody can get through that as quickly as possible yeah i mean one of the things that's been concerning too is that it feels like post hurricane that everyone's also forgetting about covid protocols and stuff there was i mean grocery stores were just absolutely slammed in the couple days really after uh, the hurricane, there was only a few places that were able to open. Um, we went to Publix, right, like on Thursday after the hurricane. I mean, I've never even seen it. They were supposed to be at 50% capacity, but there was no real way of being able to do that. And I would say it was probably 40 or 50% of the people who were in there weren't wearing masks. And it was like you were shoulder to shoulder with people trying to get, you know, necessary items because, you know, no one did their normal hurricane preps because I don't think anybody was prepared for it to hit when it did. And, you know, everybody needed to go out and do stuff. So I hope people don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, COVID's obviously still a major risk. And just because we had a hurricane come through, it doesn't mean that all that, you know, just blew away with it. So that's been one of the, the concerns I've had about a potential another outbreak down in this area just because of people kind of losing sight of that. You know, it's, it's understandable in a way, too, because this has brought on so much more, and there's only so much people are able to process and deal with at once. But I do want to encourage anyone who's in this area to, to continue doing what they need to do to stay safe in that regard, too. Yeah, I you know, please stay safe, John. You know, I know you're doing everything you can, but I, I'm, I'll just echo that. I... I everybody, you know, whether or not you've been impacted by the hurricane or not, do your part, wear a mask, be smart about this. There's really no logical reason you can give me not to. And I know people have tried to give me reasons not to, um, sadly, including some family members, but there's no logical reason that you can give me not to wear a mask. Uh, so... You know, that's the bare minimum you can do, so do it. And obviously, when you're in the midst of a hurricane, essential supplies are essential supplies. You can't just stay at home. Not everybody can get a delivery in a situation like that. So do it responsibly, um, you know, because you want to be alive for a long time if you're going to be picking up the pieces of your life after a disaster like this. Absolutely. 
Well, on that note, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some actual football talk. Um, some of the big storylines off the field, some of the big storylines on the field from the first three weeks of play. So stay tuned with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just caught up with John Mitchell, who's finally back with us for the first time in a couple of weeks. Now it's time to talk some football, because really, last time we got to talk, the season hadn't even started yet. We'd seen the FCS kickoff, but no FBS football yet. So before we get into the stories that have been happening on the field, though, John, I really think we need to discuss some of the big storylines that are happening off the field. Um, obviously, you know, last Wednesday when we would normally be having a podcast come out, the Big Ten dropped a bombshell on everybody by saying they were planning on coming back the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. And, uh, you know... It, as somebody who's sitting here in one of the Big Ten towns, uh, State College, Pennsylvania, which is now the um, second fastest growing hotspot in terms of counties across the entire United States, this feels like a really short-sighted move uh, on the part of the Big Ten. But, you know, as somebody who's sitting from, you know, a little further away and is in you know, SEC country where football is actually about to start back up this weekend. Do you think this was the right move on the part of the Big Ten? You know, I, I think, I think it came about just because you know everybody else was able to really get going, and I think the Big Ten started believing that a spring season just wasn't going to work logistically to be able to play a spring season in 2021 and then turn around and play a fall season again in 2021. I think the logistics of that never really made a lot of sense. And I think the the impact of losing the full season, uh, not just from, you know, monetarily for this year, but the impact that could have on the Big Ten brand, for instance, was more than the conference was willing to kind of stomach, I think. So I don't know that it's necessarily the right move. I'm still kind of on the, on the side of it probably not being morally responsible to play college football. Um, you know, I, I can see it from a professional sports standpoint, Zach, because those are paid athletes. They're being able to test pretty well. And the NFL, to their credit, seems to be doing a really good job with COVID testing so far. I think they've had no positive tests in the first two weeks of the NFL season, they held one player out this week who had symptoms but had tested negative. So, you know, very encouraging signs for the NFL so far. Um, obviously, the NBA bubble has worked really, really well uh, to be able to do that. I know I think Major League Soccer had done that as well and had success. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, it all goes down to, to this not being a these not being paid athletes, I think, is the, the biggest issue that you and I both really have with this in that, you know, you're, you're getting these these players to play. And obviously the players do want to play. So there's stuff to that, too. But, 
you also have to look at it from the standpoint of college kids frequently make poor decisions, and sometimes the adults in the room have to make those decisions on their behalf and what's in their best interest. So, you know, I, am I looking forward to watching Big Ten football? Am I looking forward to watching Ohio State and Penn State play? Absolutely, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that game. Will part of me also be thinking the entire time that that game shouldn't be played? Yeah, probably as well. So it, it's kind of a conflict uh, of interest on both sides for me. I, oh, I completely hear you there. I mean, I, I would... I would be hard-pressed to argue that there are people who love football more than us out there. I mean, people obviously love it as much as we do, but I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who loves it more than us. And we're sitting here grappling with this. I know it's been a hard thing. I, I've had a hard time dealing with it. Uh, when FBS football first came back, I was writing about the Louisiana-Iowa State game which turned into a hell of an upset. And, I, you know, I just reflexively turned on the game in the morning. My wife woke up, I think, at the beginning of the second quarter. I let her sleep in, and she comes out and she's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, it was unconscionable to even think about watching this. And it, it really has been. I, I'll, you know, I've watched a lot less football this year. It, I've only seen, you know, that was the only full game I watched, and it was because I was writing about it. And so, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that we're all grappling with as fans. And, I, you know, I can't really fault anybody who wants to watch it. I understand the value that football has in bringing communities together, especially in a time when we're so distant. You know, even if it is the imagined community that you never actually get to see, but is still, you know, they're rooting for the same team at the same time. I get that. And I, I've grappled with it from another, you know, standpoint as well, where it's like, is this being fair to other fall sports? But I was actually sitting talking on Monday with um, one of the coaches or one of the assistant coaches at Penn State for another one of the fall sports, you know, uh, I won't name which one because I didn't actually talk to her about bringing this up on the podcast, but, you know, asked, how do you guys feel about the fact that football's coming back and you're not? And they understand this is the revenue driver. Like, they don't want to get furloughed. They don't want to lose their jobs. They, they want to have the opportunity to give their teams a spring season, however that works out. And yet, you know, she said at the same time, it, keeping their athletes interested and engaged is really tough because they're watching, you know, other conferences play their fall seasons as well, not just in football, but in other sports too. So, you know, they're watching their peers out on the field and it's obviously tough. You know, you hit it right on the head. These athletes want to play. It, it, you don't devote as much time as they do to a sport to become a scholarship athlete in college without wanting to play. So I think, you know, that's something we're just going to continue dealing with as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
It's definitely the most conflicted I've ever felt about a college football season. Um, I couldn't watch any football this past weekend, not because of a lack of interest, but because of, uh, you know, the complete and total power outage in this area uh, for me. So, uh, you know, I still plan on watching some, uh, but I, I was also, I watched some of that, you know, the Louisiana, um, Iowa State game you talked about, but there were several points when I was watching football in the, the first, I guess, real week of the season that felt like that it was just, you know, I, I found my, my attention kind of waning away and the thoughts of grabbing the remote and flipping to something that wasn't college football came. And I think that honestly might be the first time in my life that's happened during a college football Saturday where I've even considered no matter what the quality of games were, on the television that I've personally considered flipping the channel. I've had other people with me who wanted to take their remote and flip the channel, but, you know, it, it, it's the first time that that thought ever really entered my head. Uh, believe me, it, it, I, I'm right there with you. You know, I've obviously wanted to turn away from my team getting blown out in a certain game, but you're always sure. flipping to another game when that happens, usually. Like I want yeah, to. Yeah, after a brief walk around the neighborhood or something like that, you know. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you're turning off football, and that's yeah. I'm right with you. This is you know, this is the first time I've ever really done that too. But you know, the Big Ten's coming back now. That that's what. So it looks like the Pac-12 is about to follow. Um, although. Who knows what can happen with that? Because California and Oregon are dealing with their own disasters in terms of the fires that they've been dealing with, which, you know, thankfully that's starting to tamp down a bit. But both states have, you know, fairly severe COVID restrictions in terms of what you can do in terms of practice and everything. And it'll be interesting to see if they can get up to speed in time. The Mountain West is looking at the same thing, trying to return by late October. Um, the MAC has been one of the most resolute conferences in terms of not coming back, but even now you're starting to hear some murmurings under the the wire that are, you know, people kind of you know advocating for it. Jarrett Patterson at Buffalo, among others, has has come out with pretty strong statements. But we don't know what's going to happen there yet. So I just want to focus on this Big Ten story quickly. Um, just a couple of stories before we go to our break and then actually talk about some football that's been happening on the field. First of all, you know, the biggest thing that's been that that's been talked about about this is how difficult Nebraska's schedule is going to be. You know, Nebraska came out and you know, they were the ones who led the charge to come back for the Big Ten. And, you know, so many people have said it, it's almost like the Big Ten punished them for making so much noise. Um, the fact that Rutgers and Michigan State got dropped from their um, interdivisional games and they kept Ohio State and Penn State. Do you think there was something out for Nebraska, John, or do you think this is just a matter of somebody had to have these two teams on their schedule? I think there's probably something to it, to be honest, just because you heard the rumblings, not just of you know Nebraska pushing for a season, but also the rumblings that they would consider 
alternative plans that the Big Ten wasn't going to come back. So, you know, I, maybe it wasn't something that was planned ahead, but maybe it fell like that in one of their, you know, one of the scheduling things that they did. They looked at it and were like, well, I don't see anything wrong with this. You know, we this looks uh, pretty good to me, you know. So I, I, I think there's definitely more to that. I, I do believe that. That was probably, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, but I could definitely see how that would be kind of a, hey, careful what you wish for, Nebraska. You want to play? Well, let's see what you can do now. I, I'm loath to say that they were sticking it to them. I really am. You know, I'm one of those people who most likely this got ran through an algorithm and, right. you know, they stripped teams off and, and, you know, leveled out schedules from 10 games to 8 games. I'm always inclined to look for what the logical solution, you know, the logical answer is to that rather than jumping to that conspiracy. At the same time, I can understand why Nebraska fans would jump to it. So it kind of feels like one of those algorithms. I don't know if you've ever played with. I know you're not a big NBA guy. But the NBA draft lottery machine. Oh yeah. You click on it a thousand times until your favorite team is projected to be number one to be able to get the best player in the draft. Kind of feels like one of those where they hit simulate, simulate, simulate. Like, oh, there's Ohio State and Penn State for Nebraska. We'll keep this one. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, and it very well might have been. Uh, you know, because the other stink that came up was from you know, really Iowa and Ohio State more than any other schools. Obviously, you can't do that to Ohio State, you know, put Ohio State on Ohio State's schedule because right. they are the Buckeyes. And, you know, it had to be one of the two, Nebraska or Iowa, that got that situation. If they really were interested in, you know, click, click, click until they got one of them that had it. And, you know, perhaps it was just Nebraska's number that drew it when they first, you know, started going after that. That's, you know, possible. I, I'm, yeah. I'm inclined to take a more benign look at that. But, you know, Huskers fans, you could have an SEC 10-game schedule. I'll just give you that. So... <laughs> And we'll talk about we'll talk about that more in the net, you know the, the final segment, but they certainly could have that. So I wouldn't complain too much there in Lincoln. Yeah, I mean I think if you're a Nebraska fan too, you're you know priding yourself on being a big time program. Well, now here's your chance to really go out there and prove that you can be that program again. You know, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best, as the old saying goes. If, in, if they beat both Ohio State and Penn State, a, a college football playoff could be in their future. So, Absolutely. And I'm sure no Huskers fans would cry about that. But, yes. but speaking about championships, the last thing I want to talk about before we go to break, the Big Ten announced that they're, you know, they're playing their championship game on December 19th, but they also have every other one of their teams playing on December 19th, too. They're matching up the second-best team from the East against the second-best team from the West, third-best, third-best, and so on, all the way down. 
What do you think about this? I, you know, it's an obviously a novel approach. We've never seen a conference try this before, but do you think it's a, a, a good idea for the Big Ten to kind of introduce that as a ninth game for all their teams? I kind of like it a lot, actually. It introduces the potential for matchups you don't see as often and then, you know, can answer um, the age-old question of which division was strongest. You get the bragging rights for that. I think it's kind of an interesting wrinkle, and then, you know, you get a game that you weren't expecting to get. You know, you, you get a game that I guess the team you may have played in a couple years weren't on your rotational schedule for however long. So I think that's a really interesting wrinkle. If that goes over well, I could see that being something that kind of trickles down and, and goes everywhere eventually, and that's how everybody does their ninth conference game. They do it on championship weekend. And, you know, obviously we wouldn't be complaining because we'd get a, a whole slate of games on championship weekend. Yeah, I mean, usually that, you know, is a kind of slow pace day you know you're getting one game and then the next game and then the one after that and you have one on friday night a lot of football is usually not a bad thing obviously as we talked about this season's a little bit more rough but ultimately you know if this does move forward in seasons where i feel a little less conflicted about watching football week over week i'd love to see it happen as a regular fixture and I'd love to see it expand across other conferences. Agreed. Well, with that said, let's uh, take our last break here, everybody. And when we come back, we're going to actually talk about some of the big storylines that are happening on the field since, you know, we're now three weeks into the season. So stick around. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome to the final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished up talking about the biggest storyline that happened over the past week off the field with the Big Ten returning to a full season after all. But we're already three weeks into the season, John, so we've seen some big storylines build up on the field as well. And I'd love to talk to you about some of these, you know, whether or not you actually got to see it. The first one is one that we've both already alluded to already, and it's the fact that the Sun Belt is now 3-0 and against the Big 12. You know, we've, we've talked about the Raging Cajuns taking down then number 23, Iowa State, by 17 points in Ames. Um, I think we both already need to swallow a little bit of crow about what we said about Iowa State in our Big 12 preview. But they got us again, Zach. They did it two years in a row to us, John. But, you know, Damn. as somebody who just dealt with a hurricane, you know, the Cyclones ended up biting us. Yep. And... You know, at the same time, they're not the only Sunbelt team that's looked great so far. You know, Arkansas State ended up playing a lot closer than we expected against Memphis. And then they turned around and went to the Little Apple and took out Kansas State 35-31 in Week 2. But Jonathan Adams is a stud. Yes, exactly. 
But that wasn't all. You know, Coastal Carolina for the second straight year took down Kansas in Lawrence. And obviously it's Kansas. But this wasn't a close game like it was last year. This was a 15-point route. I mean, and I think we can call it a route in this this instance. They put up 38 points on the Jayhawks. So, yeah, it wasn't even as close as that score indicates. Like, they ran away with that game. Yeah, the Sun Belt looks damn good right now. And at the same time, this past weekend, the one team that, I, at least I said looked best in the Sun Belt. You you were obviously a raging Cajuns supporter from the outset. I will give you all the credit in the world for that because we talked about that in the Group of Five preview. But my team I expected to stand up and rise, App State, is probably out of the Group of Five race by now. You know, that game when they went to Huntington and played Marshall on the road was pretty much an elimination game for these two teams. And the Thundering Herd stood up tall and knocked them out 17-7. to So, I think we're getting a changing of the guard in the Sun Belt this year, John. Yeah, I, it just always feels like there's one game like that every year where App State just can't quite get over the hump. It feels like, you know, it's usually been, I think, the last couple of years against Georgia Southern where yep. they've just kind of fallen apart and had one game where they couldn't do anything right. It happened a little earlier this season, uh, coming a non-conference play against Marshall. So it's just, it's always felt like there was one stumbling block a year, and maybe this is just going to be that one stumbling block for App State. They're going to bounce back. I certainly wouldn't take them uh, lightly the rest of the season in the Sun Belt. Obviously, the Sun Belt is rising in prestige. It's always been kind of the last little conference we really talk about. I think it's definitely rising recently. Adding App State was huge for the Sun Belt, getting them as a member. Obviously, Billy Napier has done a, a hell of a job with Louisiana, and they are now, I mean, looking like the favorites in the Sun Belt. Definitely can't discount Arkansas State after how impressive they were against Kansas State. But, yeah, I think Louisiana is really the team to look out for, and Billy Napier looks like a coach that's, steadily on the rise and is probably on his way to a bigger job if you know depending on what's available this offseason because I think it's going to be a very strange offseason the coaching carousel who can actually afford to pay buyout clauses for their coaches uh will really come into play but he's definitely one of the up-and-coming coaches in the group of five ranks I think is going to have a real shot at a big job really soon yeah, I agree with you 100%. Napier has done a hell of a job in Lafayette, and I think that's only going to continue through this season. And whether or not he gets the kind of offer he wants, um, if he does stick around for another year next year, I think it's going to be another great year for the Raging Cajuns. So... It, and at the same time, App State could still swoop in and win it all because they're still zero. They're still zero and zero in conference play. So, yeah, yeah I don't think either of us would be surprised if App State won out from here and won the Sun Belt. That wouldn't. I don't think that would catch anyone off guard. No, and you know if they got their one inexplicable loss out of the way before conference play happens, that might be all the better for them. Uh, because, because since coming to the Sun Belt, while they have won, you know, multiple titles in a row, they've never done so with a perfect conference record. 
And while we talk about busting in as the top group of five team into the New Year's Six, I really think that next hurdle for them is a perfect Sun Belt record in a, in a season. So that's still on the table. But at the same time, I think this speaks to the fact that there's been coaching turnover each of the past two seasons yes. there at Boone. So, yeah, and you know, we talked about a lot in preseason previews how difficult it was going to be for first year head coaches this year. And that, you know, we, we mentioned year zeros, and this felt like the year if you're a first year head coach, you get an automatic year zero just because of how challenging of an offseason everybody's had to go through. So, I, I think we're going to see more of stuff like that with first year coaches having some struggles in these games uh, just because the turnover has just been so significant on that front and just because of the, you know, shortened off-season programs and everything like that. So this is, I think, the first one that's really, really stood out, and I think that's only going to become more apparent as the season goes on. I think that's a totally fair point that we need to bring up. So any of you fans out there listening who are fans of a school whose coach is just arrived at your school, cut them some slack. It, it, this is a weird year. It's going to continue to get more and more weird. And speaking of weird, John, we talked about Hurricane Sally in our opening segment, but we need to talk about another set of hurricanes because Miami is flying up the rankings. They're now at number 12 in the AP Top 25 after their takedown of Louisville. And, you know, they're 2-0 and after their, you know, win against UAB and then beating the Cardinals in their conference opener. That offense has looked incredible. Dan Enos is in the rearview mirror, and Rhett Lashley is kicking ass. Derek King has looked like a revelation since he transferred over from Houston. Cameron Harris is doing incredible things. Is Miami a legitimate contender in the ACC this year? You know, this was one of my teams I talked about months ago thinking had a really good shot at showing a lot of improvement. It's so weird because it's it's their offense that's leading the charge. So watch Miami after them being really a defensive juggernaut the last several years win a game 47 to 34 over Louisville this past week is just very strange. A very it's not a game I really I didn't get to watch, but like a very strange box score to see in the aftermath. Like it, it felt more like a an ACC hoops game between those two teams than what I would have expected a a football game to look like. So I you know the it's amazing what competent quarterback play can do for a program can do for an offense. And De'Aaron King has obviously given Miami more than competent quarterback play. He's been outstanding so far for the Hurricanes. And I think this team is a real threat. We know that they've got a lot of talent on defense, even with, you know, the the losses they had to sustain due to COVID opt-outs. But this team is really dangerous. I, I think they have a legitimate shot. I'm not going to say they have a legitimate shot at dethroning Clemson at the top of the ACC, but this is a team that feels like they have a real shot at being neck and neck with Notre Dame and North Carolina to be that kind of runner-up behind the Tigers this year. It's unbelievable. You know, you mentioned what the, a difference a quarterback can make, and it also speaks to what a difference an offensive coordinator change can make as well. 
because nobody was happy in Coral Gables with Dan Enos and what was happening there. And Lashley has been, he, he's been calling plays masterfully. You know, we mentioned King, but as I said, Cameron Harris already has multiple runs that are longer than anything he busted out last year. They're just, they're opening holes. They're finding wide open receivers. They're busting coverages. They're doing everything right so far. And obviously, you know, down the road, they still have some tough tests on the schedule. But Louisville was, you know, I mean, McHale Cunningham looked great as well. They needed to to keep up the offensive surge uh, to stay ahead in that game. You know, because Louisville did score 34 points, as you said. It wasn't like the defense was locking down everything. And they still won comfortably. So, it, it, it feels like a new dawn in South Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think this is exactly what they had in mind. Um when Manny Diaz was brought in to Coral Gables. Uh, you know, last year was a bit of a disappointment, uh, but I think the cha- right changes have been made in this Miami team. Which really, I mean, it's two quality ones in a row. I mean, beat a really quality group of five team in UAB to open the season, and then beat a Louisville team who was, you know, the most improved team in the country last season. And, you know, had a real chance to be really good. And I still think that's a good Louisville team. I don't want to take anything away from Louisville because they lost that game against Miami because I think this Hurricanes team is quite good, and I think they're a real threat in the ACC. I mean, Clemson, we talked about it a lot in the ACC preview, is a step above everybody in that conference still at this point. They haven't, you know, been tested so far this year, but everything we've seen in the early goings of this season has reaffirmed that, that they're just playing a different sport than everybody else in their conference, really. So, you know, Miami is definitely on the right track. I think fans have a, a, a real right to be excited about this team uh, this season. I think they have a real shot at being right there in the thick of the race. Yeah, I mean, they feel so much less like a paper tiger than that team it, what was it, 2017 when they went like 10-0 and and then lost all of their last three games? Like, yeah. this feels like a team that has much more staying power than that, and it all comes down to the offense. It's amazing how quickly Derek King has clicked in that offense, despite the fact that he didn't get a lot of reps in the offseason. But obviously, having a, a new starting quarterback is a lot easier in this environment when that starting quarterback has a ton of starting experience at a former school. Like, we knew what De'Aaron King was. We saw him at Houston. We saw how talented of a player he was. So it's no surprise to see him come to Miami and be able to play at this level. So it, it, really happy to see him back playing football. Missed him a lot last season uh, after the beginning of the year so excited to see him back he seems to be a perfect fit for what Miami wants to do and this Hurricanes team is is really dangerous I was just going to say that as well after he you know redshirted after those four games when Houston kind of tanked at the beginning of the season it was really sad not getting to see him perform on the field and what a hell of a coup for Miami landing him because that was not the you know the spot I expected him to land when he said he was going into the transfer portal. But it, it, you know, I I think matching up with Lashley was a hell of a get. You know, the fact the both of them seem to be 
on the same page, and that's all you can ask for from a couple of first-year guys in terms of your quarterback and coordinator. Not everything has been on the same page this season, John, because one of the biggest storylines that is on the field is the fact that so many teams haven't been able to get on the field. We've already had more than a dozen postponements in or cancellations at this point. You know, we had a couple in week one. It, it pretty much doubled in week two. And then, you know, we had at least a half dozen games that got called off last week, including two different Houston games. Because initially they were supposed to be playing Memphis. And then, you know, the Tigers decided to go out on a party bus after they, you know, won against Arkansas State. So Houston scrambled and set up their game with Baylor, and then that gets called off. It's, uh, you know, because Baylor had issues with, with COVID protocols and their offensive line especially getting decimated. So, I, I mean, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to see this more throughout the season, but... What do you think this disruption is going to do in terms of the way we look at polls, the way the college football playoff selection committee looks at everything at the end of the season? Are they going to take into account, like, are they going to penalize teams that were the cause of the cancellation? Um, are they going to penalize both teams, even if one of them was ready to play? I really, you know, I project the top 25 rankings every week for Saturday Blitz, and boy, has that been a friggin' headache so far. So I'm curious how you think this is going to land long-term, especially with the committee. This is the first year of my watching football that I'm glad I don't have an AP vote because I can't even imagine trying to decipher this mess of a season and putting together a top 25. I mean, it's it's just insanity to even try to cipher out. I couldn't tell you at all how the committee is going to look at things, how poll voters are going to look at things. I think it would probably be fair if your team does something stupid like Memphis's team by setting up a party bus after winning against Arkansas State. I think it's probably fair to to um, take them down a notch in the polls and to hold that against them because, you know, we all need to be being smart um, in these instances. And, and especially if we're playing football, to know that you're not just endangering your teammates, but you could potentially be endangering people from other teams and other states and communities and stuff like that. So I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. I mean, obviously the reason for doing these mostly conference-only schedules, obviously we've seen – some several out-of-conference contests, but a big reason for doing a mostly conference-only slate was to build in the potential to push games back if they need to happen, and we're going to see that all year. There's going to be postponements. There's going to be outright cancellations. It's going to be an absolute mess to actually decipher and put together a final rankings at the end of the season because some teams are going to have played – 10 games. Some teams are going to have played eight. Some teams are going to have played four or six games, and that's it. So it, it, it's a season. It's it's uncharted territory. I mean, we, we've seen nothing like this in a very, very long time. 
Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this in March when we saw what, you know, in terms of looking at the history of the way 1918 played out during the pan the Spanish flu pandemic. And it's exactly that same thing where a couple, you know, a couple of teams called off their season. Uh, the big seven, I think it was at the time. Now it's the big 12. They called off their season at the time. Um and yeah, you saw teams playing anywhere from four to nine games, and that's exactly what this year is going to look like. Lucky for people in 1918, there were no polls yet, so they didn't have to deal with that. But, you know, you've done the top 25 projections in the past covering for me. You know what a headache it is in the best of times. This year has been a, pardon my language everyone, but it's been a shit show. It's just the way it is, and I I don't think it's going to get any cleaner moving forward. So, lucky to everybody else on the site, I'm the one who pulled that that card. So, well, lucky for you too. The Big Ten's about to be back, so you get to decipher that mess now too. Oh yeah, this past week, you know, luckily the AP said ahead of time that they were not going to have their voters vote for Big Ten teams. Um, whereas the coaches poll, it seemed like half the coaches got the memo to vote for them and the other half said no thanks because Ohio State is definitely not a number 10 team if they're actually playing this year, um, at least not as a starting point. Um, and, you know, everybody else below them where they were, but I, I get that as well. You know, that comes down to half the field voting for them at number two, you know, anywhere from one to three, and the rest of the people just not putting Big Ten teams on their ballot at all. So, Well, this should also show the fallacy of the coaches' poll, right? Like, these coaches don't pay enough attention to what's going on. Most of them probably don't care enough to actually do research on these they don't have the time they're far too busy during the season to sit there and worry about that that's why you shouldn't pay attention to the coaches poll it was ridiculous that that used to be a a factor in national championship races uh so at least that's gone at this point in time Oh, and it's wild to think about because for those past, those last six or seven years of the Bowl Championship Series, it was the coaches' poll and then it was the hastily constructed Harris poll. You know, after 04, the uh, Associated Press, the most venerable of those polls, and obviously people have problems with them anyway. Um, you know, any poll is going to be subjective, but when you have media members, you figure there's going to be at least some dispassion to it. Um, you know, you're not going to let your biases get in the way. You're not go And we've seen that, you know, statistical analyses um, by some really smart academics have shown that the coaches poll, coaches are going to vote for teams in their conference. They're going to boost teams that they think can give their own team credibility down the line. Um, you know, the media has a little bit less of that bias built in, but it doesn't make my job any easier. <laughs> nope, I do not envy you. Well, the last thing I have to leave us with, John, because we're coming up on the new year for the SEC. 
their starting play this week. And I just have to ask, you know, for everything we've talked about with the, you know, sort of the reservations we have in this season, are you excited for the return? Yeah, and I don't feel great about being excited. Like, I was texting back and forth with my brother this week about watching Alabama play football again and how kind of surreal that's going to feel, but how good it's also going to feel. Like, I want to watch Alabama play football. Of course I want to watch Alabama play football. Of course I want to watch other SEC teams. I'm excited to watch the Kentucky and Auburn game this Saturday. I think that's got potential to be a really good game. Uh, and several other games on the slate. But obviously Alabama-Missouri is what stands out to me because that's my team, and I haven't got to see them play uh, since January 1st. It's been that long. This is, I would say, the longest stretch in my life I've gone without watching an Alabama football game. I think I can confidently say that at this point. So I, I, I'm very excited. I, I, I wish I wasn't as excited. I think this is probably what's going to hook me back into this season in a major way. I understand, you know, as we talked about in that first segment, this is a real communal draw. Football really does have that power to create regional identities, to create communities out of disparate parts. You know, politics fall by the wayside. Um, Different ideologies fall by the wayside. Religion doesn't matter when you get to this point. Color doesn't matter when you get to this point unless those colors are your team's colors. And that's the power that football has. So I totally understand, Um, you know, obviously just, you know, being here at Penn State, I'm not necessarily a Nittany Lions rah-rah supporter, especially since I grew up as a Wisconsin fan. Um, But even then, like... I'm having a hard time thinking about Wisconsin coming back, and at the same time, it's like, uh, there's going to be Badgers football. I, 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 I understand the appeal. It's, it, it, it gives me something to talk about with my father on phone calls over, you know, when we talk on the weekend. It, 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 it has real staying power. And for, you know... I guess ultimately I hope what this does is inspires people to continue being smart. You know, the fact that people are going to be in the stands at some of these stadiums, be smart. If it's going to be happening, I want it to happen in the safest way possible, not just for the people on the field, but also anybody who's going to be there in a stadium on Saturdays. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I'm right there with you like i want everybody to stay safe and i'm i'm excited to watch football i don't think we necessarily deserve the right to watch football over from what has transpired over this past six months but um yeah i mean i'll be right there with everyone i know watching alabama play uh saturday night i'll be talking to my brother and my dad after the game as per usual uh and yeah i mean i'm obviously looking forward to that yeah, and and it's really those connections as much as anything that, you know, we can all draw on. So, with that said, is there any last word that you want to have here, John? Uh, no, just I, I'm happy to, to be back talking with you this week, Zach. It's been, been too long, uh, so uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to be here with me, too, and uh, looking forward to having more to talk about in the coming weeks um, as the season keeps going and 
I'm sure we'll have more complaints about it. And I'll be interested to talk to you again next week about how I feel um, about the season after getting to watch my team play, if that really changes my opinion. Or if, if it doesn't, then I know I'm just not going to feel it this year. I, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you next week as well for for that reason and others just because three weeks away is way too long, John. On that note, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We will be with you here next Wednesday, and barring another catastrophic event, we'll both be here with you next Wednesday. <laughs>